0: So as you heard on our bumper, we're starting a new sermon series called Double Blessing, and that may bring a lot of different ideas to, to your mind. And uh, before we get into all of that, I want to lift up for us God's word. And so we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 to 14, and, and I want to begin there for us as we begin our conversation and exploration on Double Blessing. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, you have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Holy God, bless bless us here in this time together, and may the words of my mouth glorify you. I ask all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So double blessing. Before we get into the definition of blessing, because I know blessing is a word that we use a lot, if you've been in church your whole life or you haven't been, hashtag blessed um, can mean all kinds of things. And so before we get into what blessing means for us, I wanna lift up what scripture says first, God's heart, the intention in creation. I think it's important for us to lift up um, the basis of reality before all things, before greed, before violence, before our sinful hearts and the stubbornness of our pride get a hold of us and become uh, more in the center of the story, before all of that, there is blessing. First things first. And when we are faithful to the first things God does some pretty amazing things and our witness is very powerful. And so I think it's important for us to to focus here at the beginning of scripture and remember those first few verses of scripture and the first thing that God does and we see God do as we look at Genesis chapter one, verse 26, when God speaks creation into being, he calls it good and he makes us in his image. Our scripture passage then repeats. God repeats his word for us as if he knows we need to hear it again. We think about double blessing. We are reminded again that we are made in the image of God. In verse 27, chapter one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So we see creation Is a collaboration between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made in the image of God. And what is then the first thing God does? Verse 28, right after 26, right after 27, we're made in the image of God. We're reminded again of what we're made in the image of God. And then God blessed them. Verse 28, God blesses immediately after. So we don't need to remind ourselves over and over again. I don't need to belabor the point of how divisive we are in our culture and some of our families. We see it in our churches and how much of it is because the first things. We're not tending to the first things, like the first thoughts, the first impressions, the first ways in which we see each other. Do we see, do we see those people we don't like, those people we don't want to deal with? those people who are different than us, do we see the image of God? Do we see, do we understand that the basis of reality is blessing, that that's the first thing God does? That's the first thing that God is about. C.S. Lewis will make this point even stronger, and he says this in the weight of glory, that there are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal, The dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as now you meet, if you meet it at all, only in a nightmare. And so fundamentally, C.S. Lewis is is pushing this point even farther and challenging us in our encounters, in our relationships, these first things. That's why one of the ministries of this church is the first 15. If you aren't a subscriber, I encourage you to subscribe because we believe in tending upon the first things. The first thing we want you to do when you get up in the morning is give time to God and enter into prayer and enter into his word. Because we believe, and I fervently believe, that that shapes the day and how we enter into that meeting at work and how we step into our offices and how we come home. There's transformation that happens when we give God the first things, the first time of our day. So this doesn't mean that sin and evil are not tyrants in our life that we have to master and subjugate by the power and the grace of God. It doesn't mean that at all. If you've heard me preach at all, you know we've got to deal with the sin in our lives. There's a sinful nature that is a part of us. There's a propensity to sin, but it is uncreated. It isn't part of God's good creation. It comes from one of the blessings that God gives us in freedom. And we have to highlight again that there's there's different groups in the church that sort of accentuate different things. And there's a stain and a plague of sin that some folks fundamentally believe we can't get rid of even in light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And we don't believe that as a family of faith. We believe that the power of God's grace and the victory won on the cross actually means for us here and now that we are new creation. That we are not a slave to sin anymore as much as some of our brothers and sisters may disagree. And I can say this joke I'm about to say because uh, my dad's side grew up in the Lutheran church where this was the case. And so have you heard the one about the Lutheran farmer who loved his wife so much he almost told her? almost cuz cuz for some just the effects of sin that gets at the effects of sin and even in the family of faith like is so much that that there's a pessimism but not here and not now not in the not in the the Methodist church in the Wesleyan way that the, there's this victory we believe that is won And it isn't by our abilities, it isn't by our strength, it isn't by our power, but by the power and the grace of God, we can indeed live in the light and be light and live in victory over sin. And so what's important for us to understand is evidence of that. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is in how we see the world, seeing ourselves and each other through the lens of blessing is fundamental. Is fundamental to living a life like Jesus. So hashtag blessed. What does blessing mean? What do we mean by living a blessed life? What do we mean that we are a blessing, that we are here to be a blessing? Is, is blessing, as we see the word, as I see the hashtag, it's, it's typically associated with material stuff, with good things, with getting a promotion, with getting a car, with buying a house. It's usually associated with those things. Is that what the good life is? Is that, is that what blessing means? Good luck and and kind of accumulating a, a safe and secure life, having kids that actually behave themselves, and, and having financial security. Is that what blessing means? Or is or blessing mean something else? Because if that's the picture of blessing, is it easier or harder to grow closer to God? Is it easier or more difficult to keep our pride in check? We can easily become self-righteous when we live out of the perspective that we've made our reality and we can sustain ourselves and we're self-sufficient. We can easily lose sight of the giver of all good things. We can easily lose our bearings and become confused. And actually, it can become harder for us to live a blessed life when that is our reality, when we understand blessing to mean health and wealth and prosperity. And it's, I think, the reduction of the definition to that that's the problem in the church, that when the message about blessing is reduced to health and wealth and prosperity, because don't misunderstand me, I do believe health and wealth and prosperity can be blessings from God. We can be good stewards of those things. I've met amazing men and women who are faithful and obedient and, and live incredibly generous lives who are people we would call healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. But, but the definition of blessing, as we see in Scripture, cannot be reduced to that. That blessing is anything God gives, anything God gives to make us fully satisfied in Him. That drawing closer to Jesus, whatever we're given by God to, to draw us closer to Jesus, is a blessing. So pain and suffering and hurt and sorrow and grief can be as much a blessing in our life as things like peace and rest and love. Because those things, if we think of a guy like Job, We see when everything, when he loses all the things, those material things, this long agonizing road of suffering for Job, it ends up bringing him closer to God. That, that is what we mean by blessing. Remember how Jesus begins his sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who draw closer and closer and closer to me. That, those gifts that God gives us, that's what we mean by blessing. And so blessing is something that God gives. So then when we bless others, it means it means we're living generously. It means we have something to give. It involves our giving. The title of this sermon series, Double Blessing, is the same title of a book written by Dr. Mark Batterson, who is a pastor of a church called National Community Church in uh, Washington, D.C. And he says this he says this again, talking about blessing that God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living, God blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And so that how we, we're gonna talk all throughout this sermon series about how we get the blessing, how we give the blessing. And we, the way we get it is by giving it. The way we get the double blessing that we're talking about, the way we get it is by giving it. So last week at church, this principle really spoke to me in thinking about this last week. But, but last week at church, um, the news hadn't yet broken about Kobe Bryant. And, uh, and it's such sad and terribly tragic what happened to Kobe and his daughter, and everyone on that helicopter crash that I think we're all aware of. And I have to confess that I'm a big, big basketball fan. I was not a fan of the basketball player, Kobe Bryant, because he was a Laker. I can't like a Laker. So I just i just can't like a Laker. I, I grew up in Indiana. I'm a Pacers fan. My dad's connection to Larry Bird. I've I'm, I'm always liked the Celtics too, so I can't, I can't like a Laker. But and seeing people say some things about Kobe, and again, I'm not, I've not been a fan of him as a basketball player. There was a testimony that was given that, that lifted up this principle. Jay Williams, who's now an analyst at ESPN, said this about an encounter he had with Kobe. He said, I always tried, Jay said, I always tried to outwork people. That's just how I made my mark. The game was at 7 p.m. He's about to play the Lakers. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna come to the Staples Center because we're playing this when the Lakers had Kobe and Shaq. These are the championship Lakers. I'm going to get there at three. I'm gonna make sure I make 400 made shots before I go back into the room, get in the sauna and get ready for the games, Williams said. To his surprise, he saw someone already working out. Kobe who do I see I see Kobe Bryant already working out once I stepped my foot across that line I started working out I worked out for a good hour hour and a half when I came off after I was done I sat down of course I heard the ball still bouncing Williams said I was like this guy's still working out he was working out it looks like he was in a dead sweat before I even got there And he's not doing just nonchalant, lazy moves. He's doing game time moves. Kobe worked out for another 25 minutes after Williams was done. After the games, Williams went up to Kobe and asked him about his work ethic. Hey, Kobe, why were you in the gym for so long? He's like, because I saw you come in and I wanted you to know it doesn't matter how hard you work that I'm willing to work harder than you. Jay said of that experience that it made him work harder, made him want to get better, the amount of time and energy Kobe gave to the game of basketball. And this is just basketball. I don't know anything about his life. I heard some amazing testimonies about how he's a girl dad and just the amazing dad that he was. But but we see this principle of, of how much he was willing to give and give and give. And in giving what was received. I mean, he's one of the greatest basketball players ever. He's influenced countless players and we will continue to this idea of giving and giving the more money, the more time, the more of our energy, the more of our life we give to God. We give to his kingdom. We give to the ministries of this church, to our marriages, to our families, to our communities. The more and more we give, the more and more we get a blessing times two, times three, times four. It isn't the simple principle you've heard it say you, you get what you put in. With with God and his kingdom, he multiplies it, he spreads it out, we get so much more. <laughs> God gives us so much. We can count our blessings. We're not always aware. We don't always operate in life with this first principle, with this lens of blessing. But there's so many blessings that we have in common in our families. The life that we have, the laughter in our life. And there's the specific blessings that God gives each and every one of us. He's mindful of your life. He's mindful of what you need individually, personally. Like, I just can't get enough of, like, coming home and, and Daddy! Like, I can't get enough of that. And in my own way, I see little Max at too as he gets up in the morning. and He's like, Dad? Mom? In his own little way, he's kind of counting his blessings. Like, he knows. He knows he's got a mom and dad who love him, who will stop everything to give him what he needs. The repetitive joy in his face when he sees a fire truck or an airplane in the sky or he gets pumped when he comes home and his dogs come to greet him. Like those are some blessings, some some personal blessings that we get each and every day. And I invite you to think of your own. We gotta know that we need those blessings though. We've gotta know if we're gonna live a life of blessing, if we're gonna engage our reality in our world and see each other, not with a distorted view, but through the lens of blessing, we gotta know that's what we need. (laughs) We can't be ignorant, we can't be blind, we can't be stumbling through life not knowing what we need. And Max right now is in a phase where he's really, really hyped and pumped up this last week all throughout the day. And he's ready to dance and ready to sing and ready to jump around until it's bedtime and he's still doing this. And we're trying to put him to bed and he's still like just going crazy. He doesn't know that he needs sleep. He's just thinking this is all going to continue, this, this playtime. And he's just been a change this last week. He just doesn't know what he needs. And I put him in bed and it's like, I'm just the worst dad in the world. And it's like, no. And then he hits it, right? He doesn't know what he needs. And, and just like that, he is out. When he finally gives in, when he finally surrenders, when he finally just lays down for a second, he's out. He gets that much-needed rest. And and we've got to know. We've got to know that we need God. We've got to know that all of our days are numbered, that every breath is a blessing. Everything if we're going to live a life and see each other as special creations made in God's image. We've got to know that we need him. Elisha understands. He gets it. Elisha understands the blessing he wants to receive. And it comes at a great cost. This isn't just something that's imputed right? This isn't something, this blessed life just doesn't happen automatically. Like he continues to follow Elijah when he doesn't have to, when he's told he can stay put. He follows him to the very, very end. He knows that blessing, to get this kind of double blessing that he seeks, it comes with great sacrifice. It comes with doubling down in prayer. It comes with doubling down in our work ethic. Dr. Batterson often has this saying that he says, like, I, you gotta pray as if everything depends on God because it does and work as if it depends on you. And we see this work out in Elisha's life as he follows him through all these, these three places that he doesn't have to go in the grief of knowing that his, his teacher is gonna leave him. And he gets to be reminded of it three times as he follows Elijah to all these places. And when asked, And when he gives the answer about what he wants, he wants, see, he has this desire that's cultivated from a life of surrender, a life of living on the basis of blessing. His desire is to have a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And we see what that costs him as he follows how hard that is, that a life of blessing doesn't come without sacrifice. And as he asks for that, Elijah's response is what? It's, you've asked for a difficult thing. You have asked for a difficult thing. It's gonna be a long road, a hard journey. God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of, of living. God blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And God multiplies our giving to bless future generations. So much of what we give we may not see because it does outlive us in the succession of who comes after us, the next generation from Elijah to Elisha. And I'm here before you today because like Mamaw Mamie with nickels to her name in Southwest Arkansas carted nine kids to church and gave and gave and gave to God and to her family. And one of those sons was Papaw, my dad's dad. And I'm here today because like granny and grandpa, my mom's parents, like just poured out so much and gave and gave. And I'm here today. And I know so, so many of you are here today because of my parents and the work that they've done and the prayers, like whose double portion are you? Whose double portion are you? Who's your double blessing? Who or what is your double blessing? Because what's amazing in looking at Elisha, in Elijah, like maybe because Elijah is taken up in this chariot to heaven, maybe he does from, from his vantage point from heaven get to see all this play out, but so much of Elijah's work comes after him. I mean, we, we, encountered prophets along the way and Elijah throughout his life was agonizing before God that he was the only one. There were no other faithful prophets and yet God in the midst in response to Elijah's work has worked out a renewal movement here and we see prophets. And I don't know if Elijah got got to see it from his vantage point, but, but Elisha performed twice as many miracles as his teacher, as his leader, Elijah. Twice as many. Double the blessing. So much of the fruit of our lives and what we give and give and give, we surrender to God who will do more than we could ever dream of. We don't often get to see it. So, so much of our sermon series these next few weeks are gonna be just an exercise in counting our blessings because I don't know that we do that enough, except maybe Thanksgiving. <laughs> and so I want you to think about, and Pastor David and I are lifting up this challenge to the congregation for the next 21 days. It's just throughout this sermon series. It's this is exercise of counting your blessings. And I want to invite you, as we move into a time of communion, to think about who you're grateful for, to think about some of those blessings in your life. And again, understanding blessing are those gifts that God gives us to make us fully satisfied in him. Those gifts that draw us closer to God, that, that lead us and help us grow into who God has called us to be. That those things, those people are blessings I want you to be specific and every day I want to challenge you. If maybe you don't do the first 15, if you don't do the first 15, I challenge you to do that, but maybe as a baby step to do the first 15 is to begin your day and to start by naming and identifying three blessings or three people or three things that you're grateful for and they can't be general like the sun or life or love. They have to be specific and you can't repeat them. So they gotta be different every day. They gotta be different every day. So I invite you, I'm gonna covenant to do that. I invite you to do that and we'll just keep checking in each and every week. And I wanna invite you to do that now as we close our eyes and bow our heads and prepare ourselves for communion. I I wanna invite you to think about those people, those times in your lives, those things that you've been given that have brought you life that have that have inspired you that have helped you along the way of understanding God's will and God's heart Lord we bow before you today grateful Lord we thank you that the foundation of our life, the foundation of all of reality, the foundation of the world that you've given us is, is one of blessing, is one of gift, is one of fellowship and joy and beauty and love and that from the beginning you wanted fellowship with us. You wanted it so much that you gave everything. What you didn't need to give, you gave And you entered into the constraints of of our life and our our reality. And you took the form of a slave and a servant for us and for our salvation. You gave and you gave. And so God, help us give. Help us live lives where we see our neighbor and we see reality as blessings those that we disagree with, those that we don't want to deal with in our lives, those people that frustrate us, God. Help us see blessing. Help us see each other as being made in your image, Lord. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in giving that we get blessed. It is in giving that we receive more and we do more by surrendering our lives to you than we could ever dream of, God. So help us trust you to live generously and to be givers of your good news. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you uh, to prepare for the sacrament of Holy Communion. Um, just with a reminder that this is an open table. It is Jesus Christ Himself who invites you to receive the sacrament. All who seek to love and follow Jesus are, are invited to come. We know that on the night that He gave Himself up for us all, Jesus sat at the table with His disciples and they shared a meal.